Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Norton. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm one of the pastors here at New Denver. And um, just a quick plug, as a community of faith, we are reading through the entire Bible this year uh, together. And we started um, five days ago. And I don't know about you, but there are some pretty crazy stories in the first few chapters of Genesis. Can you agree with me on that, right? So, um, so if you have any questions about any of those stories, we want to help you out. Here's an email address. Just send your questions to Emily Schultz <laughs> at newdenver.org, and she will answer them for you. So, uh, no, seriously, it's been great hearing um, from some of you about what you're learning and what's happening, and it's not too late to join us. We're only uh, five days in, so um, if you want to join us, you can catch up really easily. Everything you need to know, uh, you can find at newdenver.org slash Bible 2023. The plan that we're using is there, a bunch of resources, what translation, what Bible, all those kind of things. Um, and we've also got a group we would love for you to sign up for just to let us know you're doing it with us so that we can communicate with you about all of this. Um, you can do it at that site or um, on the app, the Church Center app that we uh, use for a lot of stuff around here. All right. Uh, today, we're starting a new sermon series, and um, we uh, approach series in a few different ways here at New Denver. Sometimes we'll take a section of the Bible and just sort of walk our way uh, through it. Maybe it's a book or a passage or uh, a narrative section. In fact, we're going to do that in the month of February. We're going to read through or look at some stories in one of the books that we're reading through this sort of reading through the Bible um, project in the Old Testament. Uh, sometimes we'll take a specific theme that's found in a part of the Bible, and we'll work our way through that. So we're going to do that during the season of Lent, during March and April. We're going to look at um, the gospel accounts and Jesus' life, and one specific trait that Jesus had that was um, a bit surprising. It's maybe not something we would expect from him. Um, but then sometimes we'll do a, a sermon series on a more general topic, maybe something that's uh, happening in our lives, it's relevant to our lives, or something that's relevant in our culture, maybe something that's uh, confusing or uh, challenging, something where we want to ask the question, what perspective should we have? Um, what, uh, how should our faith inform how we think about this? Does the Bible have any wisdom to offer us about this topic or this issue? And that's what we're going to do here for the next uh, four weeks. So we're going to explore the topic of sex and gender. Um, so the name of the series is Sex, Gender, and Faith. And just to clarify uh, right up front, um, using sex in the sense, not in the sense of sexual activity or sexual relations, but more in the actual scientific sense that it's used. Uh, the way it's used on your driver's license, where the word sex is really on there on the front, and then next to it, it probably has an M or an F next to it for male or female. So the primary question we're going to be asking over the next few weeks is this. What does it mean to be male or female? What does it mean to be male and female? And perhaps you haven't thought about this question in a while, but it touches uh, more areas of our lives than we're maybe aware of. Some of us grew up in uh, religious traditions or maybe churches that taught us that if you are a female, there's something inferior about you. Or that there's certain things that only males can do, but you can't do because you're a female. Um, all of us, if you grew up in an American culture, grew up in a culture that taught us uh, that males like these things and uh, females like these things. And uh, if you're a female that likes the male things, you're a tomboy. And if you're a male that likes the female things, you're a sissy. Uh, some of these gender expectations have been uh, challenged 
but many of them have not. Some of them are still very subtle and yet very powerful. These cues in our culture that say uh, real men act in these ways and real women act in these ways. To be masculine means this. To be feminine means this. And in fact, there's even certain adjectives we might use or or character traits that when applied to a guy make him uh, strong or uh, more attractive or more manly. But if they're applied to a woman, she's suddenly not attractive. She's not becoming of what a woman should be. And of course, all of these get back to this question. What does it mean to be male and female? And some of us have raised some really important questions about these gender roles or these gender stereotypes in our culture. Others have asked good questions about uh, the categories of male and female to begin with. Right? Some have suggested uh, that male and female are not these binary fixed realities, binary meaning there's only uh, two categories. Many push back against that now and suggest that, that there is a spectrum and we need to adopt a much more uh, fluid understanding of sex or gender. In fact, some have experienced a sense that their gender identity has been imposed on them by others and it doesn't really reflect who they actually are. And so in the trans community, there's a a lot of people who have uh, tried to figure out how to navigate their own gender identity, and some of them have received a lot of support and affirmation and care as they do that, and others have not. Uh, Younger generations tend to be more comfortable with this discussion and this language of fluidity, while older generations are sometimes confused or challenged or maybe even critical Because if you're uh, 40 or older, your perspective on sex and gender was formed and shaped in a very different time and culture than someone who is younger. And one isn't necessarily uh, right or wrong. It's just that there's huge differences in the way these terms sex and gender are used today than they were 20 or 30 or certainly 40 years ago. So how we address this question, what does it mean to be male and female, It touches on so many important things. And so I've been thinking for a while, we should probably talk about this, right? It might not be easy to talk about. There's a lot of complex elements to this conversation. There's some medical terms we're going to have to unpack. And of course, elements of this conversation have become politicized, and that always makes things way more complicated. But I don't think we can ignore it either. And this is a really important question to ask. Wherever you are in your journey of faith, I mean, you maybe you're somebody who's been following Jesus for a long time. Maybe you're new to following Jesus. Maybe you're new to the church. Or, or maybe you're uh, coming back to church. Maybe the reason you left the church you were in or you left the church you grew up in is because they dropped the ball on issues of sex and gender. They took these really rigid positions that didn't make any sense to you, or maybe they just ignored the conversation altogether, even though you saw how important it was, and you knew it was really connected to our faith, right? Because if there is a God, and he did make us, and he had desires for all of us to experience wholeness and healing and and the fullness of what it means to be a human being, then we need to better understand how our sex and gender connect to that. 
And maybe we need to address some unhealthy perspectives on sex and gender that have kept us from experiencing the fullness of who God wants us to be. And so this is really important. Now, I need to offer um, one big caveat up front, and here it is. Um, I am not a medical or psychological expert, uh, so I don't have advanced degrees in medicine or psychology. I've read a lot about this. I've tried to become as informed as possible. I'll pass along some of that learning uh, to you, but I'm not an expert in in either of those fields, Um, nor am I a female, intersex, or transgender person. So I'm not a female, so I can't fully understand or represent what it's like to be a female. And I'm not intersex or transgender, and if you don't really know the difference between those terms, we'll talk about them. But this caveat is important because our perspective is always shaped by who we are. And that means it's always going to be limited. And so as much as I seek to try to understand other people's perspectives and other people's experiences, I'm still a male who has benefited from some gender privileges in my life. And I'm someone who has never experienced an intersex medical condition and has never experienced gender dysphoria in the way that many trans people have. And so I need to be honest about that up front and and enter this discussion with that kind of caution. Um, But I am a pastor. And one of my roles, along with some others here, is to help lead and shepherd this community of faith. And, And I've actually talked with many of you who are asking questions about this or, or seeking guidance about these kinds of issues related to sex and gender. I was talking with a mom uh, a few months ago and she brought up this issue of sex and gender and she had been talking to her daughter about it and she was confused and she didn't know what to think about some specific things and it was hard and she just wanted some help in navigating through some of the complexities of it. I've talked to guys in our church who said they don't like to go to men's retreats. Because at most churches, men's retreats are sort of these chest-thumping celebrations of gender stereotypes about what it means to be a real or a manly man. Others have had similar concerns or similar questions or, or similar things that they want to discuss. And it's just become clear to me that there's some really important conversations to be had about this. And while I don't have all of the answers and I can't represent every perspective perfectly, I want to do my best to help us have these questions in a healthy way. And so with all that in mind, here's what we're going to do for the next few weeks. Uh, Next Sunday, we're going to dig into this question, what does it mean to be male and female? And we're going to look at um, one really important passage in the Bible. The following week, January 22nd, we're going to talk about gender dysphoria. And again, if you don't know what that means, we'll talk about it more then. Um, But I've actually invited a friend to come and speak that day. Someone for whom this is a deeply personal issue. And they're going to speak from their personal experience. And then on the final week, uh, January 29th, we'll talk about some gender stereotypes and how we can be the kind of uh, loving and whole and compassionate and healing community that God has called us to be as it relates specifically to sex and gender. Uh, But today, um, we need to do two more introductory things in order to set the table, if you will, or set up this discussion well. Uh, The first is we just need to define the terms 
sex, and gender. I know it doesn't seem like we would need to, but in the past, these two terms were used interchangeably. And some people still use them interchangeably. But more and more people today, particularly medical professionals, psychologists, scholars, and other experts are now drawing a significant distinction between sex and gender. And so if we're going to talk about this issue, we have to start with what are we actually talking about? So let me give you um, a couple of definitions to begin with. And um, there's lots of definitions out there. They're all pretty similar. So I just took these uh, from the American Psychological Association, the APA, which is a very well-respected organization. And here's how they explain the distinction. Sex usually refers to the biological aspects of maleness or femaleness, whereas gender implies the psychological, behavioral, social, and cultural aspects of being male or female, i.e. masculinity or femininity. So let's start with the first introduction up there. Uh, Sex, or the first definition, sorry, sex refers to the biological aspects of maleness or femaleness, or you could say it refers to the physiological traits that distinguish between males and females. So what are those traits? Real quickly, uh, the main difference is reproductive structures. Males and females have different reproductive internal organs and external anatomy. Um, Another difference is hormones, right? Endocrine uh, systems that produce secondary sex characteristics. So uh, females have higher levels of estrogen, which leads to the development of breasts. And males have higher levels of testosterone, which produces more facial hair. So these are called secondary sex traits. And then, of course, genetically, uh, the key difference between males and females is the presence or absence of a Y chromosome, which distinguishes between them. You didn't know you were coming to biology class today, right? There was a pediatrician in the first uh, service, and I was like, you should have just come on up and done that part. And he was like, we would have been there for hours. Um, So these are the physiological, biological, measurable traits that distinguish between males and females. And this binary, or um, maybe a better, more scientific word, this dimorphic understanding of sex, it's accepted across the board by medical professionals, psychological professionals, scientists, by liberals, by conservatives. Uh, It's just not really contested. Now, there's one possible exception that's um, brought up every now and then, and that's intersex conditions. So let me explain to you what intersex conditions are, and this is um, also from the APA. They define it or explain it this way. Um, There's a variety of conditions that lead to atypical development and physical sex characteristics. And they're collectively referred to as intersex conditions. These conditions can involve abnormalities of the external genitals, internal reproductive organs, sex chromosomes, or sex-related hormones. So uh, there's a a number of different conditions. They're actually quite diverse, but they're all lumped under this umbrella term, intersex. And uh, as I said, they're actually rare. Uh, Intersex conditions account for about 0.022% of the population. So one in 4,500 live births. And the majority of those who have an intersex condition would still call themselves a male or a female. There's not a confusion in their minds 
about it. In fact, here's what um, Emi Koyama, she's um, an activist uh, working on behalf of the intersex uh, population. She works with an organization in Portland called the Intersex Initiative. She writes this, the vast majority of people born with intersex conditions live normally as a woman or a man and do not view themselves as a member of a different gender or sex category. Most people born with intersex conditions do not think intersex to be who they are. It is simply a medical condition. So that's important because from time to time, uh, people will maybe talk about intersex as a third sex. Um, But A, uh, these conditions are very rare. That doesn't mean they're not to be treated Um, with care and compassion and significantly, but they're very rare. And more importantly, most people with an intersex condition do not think of themselves as something other than a male or female. In fact, that would be deeply offensive to them. They would uphold the same understanding of sex that is, biologically speaking, dimorphic. And so if we go back to the definitions of sex and gender, just keep in mind, sex is about biology, right? It's about physiology, the very specific biological traits that define someone as a male or female. But gender is different. Gender, as it says, is about the psychological, behavioral, social, and cultural aspects of being male or female. In short, it's what we associate with masculinity and femininity, right? It's the way that we think males are supposed to dress and act and feel and be and live in our culture. And it's the way that we think females are supposed to dress and act and feel and be and live in our culture. These are gender roles and stereotypes and expectations. And in fact, they change over time. Did you know that blue used to be associated with girls and pink was associated with boys about 100 years ago, and now it's the exact opposite? And in fact, how masculinity and femininity are defined varies from culture to culture. What's feminine in one culture might be considered masculine in another culture. Now, we'll talk more about these gender roles and stereotypes, and identities over the next few weeks. But I want you to keep this distinction in mind. It's really important. Most people today, when they refer to sex, they're talking about biology. But when they refer to gender, they're talking about the way masculinity and femininity are socially or culturally constructed. All right? Does that make sense? Good head nods. Okay. Um, one more introductory thing that we need to do today, and um, this is actually a pretty big theological thing. Before we talk about what it means for us as humans to be male or female, I think we need to ask this. Is God male or female? As people of faith, as followers of Jesus, as those of us who are reading through this Bible together, does the Bible portray God as male or female? Another way to put it is, does God have a biological sex? Do we believe in a God that is male or female? And the answer is mostly no. 
All right? So God is not male or female for a few reasons. Um, I had five, but I whittled it down to three, okay? So uh, number one is this. God is spirit. God does not have a body. Jesus himself said that God is spirit. He's everywhere. He's present in many different places at once, right? He's not confined to a physical body or a specific location, right? And if being male or female refers to biological bodily traits that you have, then God is not male or female. Uh, Number two, God is, quote, bodied in both males and females. I put the word bodied in quotes there because I don't think you're supposed to use it as a verb, and it's not a very theologically technical term. But what I mean is this. There are some traits that God shares with us as humans, that he embodies in us as humans, that when he breathed his spirit into humanity and he shared with us some of his qualities and some of his attributes, Genesis tells us that he embodied those things in both males and females. And we're going to look more at that next week. But both males and females reflect who God is which means there is not something essentially male about God or essentially female about God. Now, this is where some of you are really, really smart and you're thinking, but when God actually became a human, didn't he become a male? Wasn't Jesus a male? Yes, he was. But there were a number of other Very specific bodily traits about Jesus. Jesus was ethnically Jewish, so he almost certainly had the physical features of an ethnically Jewish or Semitic person of that time. Uh, We know he had brown hair and a beard because we have a lot of paintings of him, (laughs) right? So uh, now we don't know exactly what color hair he had, but he had a color hair. It was some specific color. Let's just assume it was brown. And he had a specific amount of facial hair. Let's assume he had a big, like, furry beard, right? He was a specific height. I don't know what it was, but let's say he was 5'7", right? But he was a specific height. He wasn't all heights. He was a specific weight. I like to think he was a little chubby, right? (laughs) Maybe his... BMI was a little bit higher than the normal range, you know? Maybe he had bony knees. Maybe he was bow-legged. Maybe he had a birthmark on the back of his shoulder. Maybe he had eczema on his arms. I mean, his brain was wired a certain way, right? It's probably an Enneagram 5. (laughs) Probably an INTJ on the Myers-Briggs, right? I'm sure of it. Um, I don't know, but he had these specific traits. Now, think about this for a second. If Jesus had a beard, does that mean that God, in his essential nature, has a beard? If Jesus was short, let's say he was 5'1", right? Does that mean that, that God, in his essential nature, is short, and that people who are short somehow reflect more of who God is, and if you're tall, you don't really reflect who God is? Is God ethnically Jewish? Is, does God have bony knees, right? 
No, and when you think about it this way, it becomes quite obvious. There's nothing about Jesus' bodily, physical, biological traits that reflects God's essential nature. God did not become a human in order to reveal to us the perfect human body. He became a human in order to reveal to us God's love for us. And so when you think about it this way, there's nothing about Jesus that reflects God's essential nature. Just because when he became a human, he became a male does not in any way mean that God is a male. One more. Uh, Number three, God is portrayed using both male or masculine and female feminine traits. Now, to be very clear, uh, there are way more examples of male and masculine metaphors and descriptions of God in the Bible. Ancient Israel was a patriarchal culture. Leadership was given to kings and warriors and priests and fathers. And so it's no surprise that these become the dominant images and metaphors used to describe God. And it's no surprise that masculine pronouns are used of God throughout Scripture. It's the way that ancient Hebrew people thought about God. But it's not the only way. In the Old Testament, God's wisdom is called lady wisdom. In fact, the Hebrew word for spirit used to describe God's spirit in the Old Testament, it's a feminine word. Now, that doesn't mean God is a woman. That's not the way words or language works. But there is feminine language and metaphors used of God. In the Old Testament, God is also described as giving birth to Israel in God's womb. That is a very biologically female image used of God. Or in the New Testament, Jesus himself, right before he goes to the cross, he laments over the people of Jerusalem And look at what he says. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Jesus is comparing himself to a mother hen, guarding and protecting her chicks under her wings. Now, is Jesus saying that he is a female hen? No. Just like when he compares God to a father, he's not saying God is a male. Or just like when he compares God to a woman looking for lost coins, he's not saying that God is a woman. He's saying that God loves us just like the best human parents will do anything they can to keep loving their children. So is God male or female? The answer is no. Mostly no, except if you're specifically asking about who Jesus was when he became a human. But is God male or female? No. And we should keep that in mind moving forward. Now we use pronouns like he and his when talking about God because that's the way the biblical authors wrote. And it reminds us that God is a person. He's not an it. right? He's a subject, not an object. But he's not male. He's not female. He's all together different. And that's probably a good place to stop for today. I hope you will continue to be here for the next uh, three weeks. 
I feel like I should assign homework right now. <laughs> um, uh, but there's a whole lot more we're going to explore um, because God cares deeply about every single one of us. He made us and he redeemed us. And so we talk about this because we want to become all he made and redeemed us to be. So let me pray for us. God, we do need uh, your grace and your wisdom and your insight and your patience as we think about these deeply meaningful things. God, I pray that we would um, lean on you, that we would look to your word for help, and that your spirit would speak and lead us, not just individually, but as a community of faith, to be the loving community of faith, the whole and healing community of faith that you've called us to be. I pray this in your name. Amen.